This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. continuing in our series formed so if you've been following us for a while it's all on the website we're talking about the various ways the various um, pathways that God uses to shape our lives our identities our characters into the image of Jesus and today we're going to continue our exploration we're going to be looking at one of the experiences that God uses to shape us namely the Holy Spirit Probably no surprise to some of you why we're talking about that this morning. Some weeks ago, we spoke about the person of the Holy Spirit and how the person of the Holy Spirit is, uh, is can, His heart is to reveal Jesus and the Father to us. That's again on the website. This morning, we're going to be speaking more in detail about the experience of the Holy Spirit. So... I mean, the reality is we can talk about this until we're blue in the face. If Jesus just doesn't pitch up by His Spirit, then this will just be a fun talk and we all go home. And, but actually, let's pray and in faith ask God that He does come in power by His Spirit and meets with us personally and, and powerfully. Yes? God, thank You that it's Your desire to do us good. It's Your desire to meet with us this morning, that we would know You in all Your beauty and glory that your spirit is here tangibly, palpably, that we get to encounter the living God in a life-transforming way. And we do ask, Lord, that you soften our hearts, you allow us to breathe, just take pause, and celebrate the wondrous, miraculous work of your spirit, your truth, your life in our lives. Amen. Amen. Well, Howard asked the question last week, and and I'm going to ask it again because I was challenged by it. What would happiness look like for you? And he had this beautiful image of a beach. and I, I was very pleased that he didn't ask or kind of push into the rhetorical question about, you know, what, what is happiness for you? Because this is kind of where my, my mind went. I want to sit on my porch uh, at my lakeside log cabin. Okay. I want to be looking out over the mountains and doing absolutely nothing and being happy. My little slice of heaven, my little promised land. But was that it? No, that was definitely not it. And if you're like me, you probably, your mind was going all over the place as well. I wanted a float plane parked in my lake next to my house so that when I feel like it, I can climb into it and fly off to the mall, okay, the shopping center, and that I can spend all the cash that I could possibly imagine, the piles of pounds lying there of all descriptions, 
And the first thing I'd probably go and buy is an Aston Martin, because let's face it, who doesn't love an Aston Martin? Keep your hands down. <laughs> and when I get bored, which I most certainly am, driving and shopping and float planing and sitting, I want to brew beer, okay? I want my beer brewery to like launch into stellar proportions. And I want to do it with my friends and family around me, because who wants to do it alone? All right, and together, I'd like to work with SpaceX in planning and launching rockets to explore the solar system. Is that too much to ask? Okay, so there you get a little insight into how my brain works. It's a bit scary, isn't it? I'm a bit off with the fairies. Um, but in answering the question, what would bring me happiness and what would happiness look like? I think you get a sense that at least for me there is nothing on this earth that would actually truly satisfy. And I, I want to feel awesome. I want to be somewhere awesome. I want to have awesome stuff. But then I also want to be doing awesome things with awesome people. It's like I want everything. I want my heaven on earth, my promised land, if you will. Today is Pentecost. Some of you might know that, some of you might not. Eh. You might know that Pentecost was the day on which the Holy Spirit was poured out very dramatically on the disciples of Jesus in the upper room after Jesus' ascension into heaven. And my main point this morning, you don't often like start with a main point, but I'm going to, so you know exactly where we're going. My main point is that as believers, it is our great privilege to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that our joy may be complete, may be full even more fantastic than the dreams of what we think might bring us happiness. And I'd like to start by reading Acts 2, which is where we read the account of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So we're going to be reading from verse 1 of chapter 2 in Acts. I'm going to do a little bit of 1-2, skip a few, so please bear with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the gathered Jews from all over the world for the Feast of Pentecost could understand them in their own language. What? Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, they are filled with new wine, which interestingly is where our spirit-filled Anglican brothers and sisters get their name from, new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. You might be able to discern which group you fit into, are you a young man, old man, <laughs> by whether you see dreams or visions. So just a couple of comments off the bat. I, being filled with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we believe are still for today. There are brothers and sisters that we love who have a different view on this. They believe that the Spirit had ceased in this way of working at the kind of end of the early church age. But we respectfully, theologically and experientially disagree with them on this point. We believe that the need to become more like Jesus by the Spirit and the, and the need to be empowered for His mission hasn't changed, and therefore the Spirit hasn't changed. Next point, being filled can be, but is not always a dramatic event. Okay. Maybe your experience of being filled with the Spirit was quite dramatic. Mine was not quite tongues of fire and, and, uh, and wind gushing, but it was marked by spiritual gifts. Next point, it is God who fills. I think that can give us peace and confidence, that it's not something we can kind of drum up or need to drum up, it's God who fills. Let's rest into that by faith. Although, uh, it's God who chooses when He fills. Now, I've got lots of brothers and sisters who love Jesus and they long to be filled with the Spirit. I say lots, a couple. And they haven't experienced this type of experiential filling of the Spirit. And they don't see it as an excuse not to keep pursuing God. They long for more of God by the Spirit and they keep asking Him. But God chooses to do what He does in His time. Again, let's rest with confidence and joy in that point. All the believers were filled. Now, that almost counteracts my previous point. But in saying that, I think there can be an expectation and an excitement that all believers can and should be filled with the Spirit in this powerful, experiential way. And finally, the gifts of the Spirit, including prophecy, speaking in tongues, often accompany a filling of the Spirit. Not always, often. And this seems to be the biblical position. It's my experience when I was filled with the Spirit, I started prophesying and speaking in tongues. I didn't even know that that was a thing. So I've just got confidence that God is, He's true, He's alive, He wants to meet with us, He wants to pour Himself in us, that we would know Him fully. And it really is my firm hope this morning that we would leave this place, both with a fullness of the Spirit and a growing hunger for a fullness of the Spirit. Both of those things. 
So you might be like me. I used to think that Pentecost was a Christian thing. That somehow the Christians had come up with it and Pentecost has obviously explained something about the Spirit. I was wrong. Pentecost means 50 days. And it's 50 days after the Passover feast, which is why it's called Pentecost. 50 days after the Passover. Jesus was crucified somewhere during the Passover feast. And 50 days after that comes Pentecost. And the feast is also known as Shavuot. Okay, this is not my cleverness. I'm just telling you what I learned and read. And the Shavuot is a rhyming word in Hebrew for wheat. Okay, wheat. Because the Feast of Pentecost in the Jewish calendar was a celebration, an honoring, a thanksgiving to God for bringing them into the promised land. And Shavuot, rhyming with wheat, was the the celebration the people brought their first fruits of the wheat harvest. And there was great celebration at that time. So by the time of Jesus, Shavuot had also grown, the sort of celebration, the feast had grown, not only as the bringing of of the, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, thanksgiving to God for the promised land, it also started including thanksgiving for the giving of the law to Moses. Think Ten Commandments, think stone tablets, okay, the giving of the law as the first fruits of holiness, if you would. So in some ways, there's probably no surprise that um, as we read that God chose the day of Pentecost, this day of celebrating His faithfulness and giving both the law and bringing the people of Israel, as He promised, into the promised land, into Israel, that on that same day He then pours out His Spirit in a fullness and a power unknown thus far to all people except Jesus. And what a glorious moment of revealing this was. God revealing His kind of grand master plan. Not only was this a first fruit celebration, a little foreshadowing of the great days to come, this was a... a, a a celebration of God's plan to draw all people in whom He would pour His Spirit into the future, eternal, ultimate promised land, heaven. Ephesians 1, 11-14, the Apostle Paul indicates this kind of connection for us, this correlation between these views. We read, In Him we have, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is what? A guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And I love how Paul sees this link between the poured out fullness of the Holy Spirit as the first fruits of this great future inheritance and the celebration of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, is the seal 
an unbreakable, eternal guarantee that we have a place. We have a certain inheritance in heaven with God. A certainty of being with Him in the promised land. And interestingly, the Apostle Paul offers us an opportunity to briefly discuss what our theology is on being filled or baptized, if you would, with the Holy Spirit. Paul's view in his writings, pretty much throughout, is that there is an initial filling or baptism in the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. So this is not a moment like in the upper room. This is not tongues of fire, spiritual fireworks, wind gusts. This is quite, this is a a quiet, yet glorious filling of the Spirit that seals us as God's people. Seals us for the promised inheritance in heaven. So for Paul, the first baptism, the, the first filling by the Spirit happens at the moment of salvation by faith. So if you're a believer this morning, you've been filled with the Spirit. Okay, according to Paul, absolutely. The writer of the book of Luke and of Acts, who's the, uh, the physician Luke, he has a slightly different view, but equally helpful, on being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 1, 4 to 5, we read, And while staying with them, Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John the baptized, uh, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's Jesus' promise and command to the disciples. Now, Luke makes the point that nobody would argue that at the point Jesus is talking to his disciples that they weren't all Christians. Or, at the point where they are filled with the Spirit in the upper room in power, that they weren't Christians at that point. So clearly, this is something different. They were most certainly heaven-bound followers of Jesus. And that this moment at Pentecost was a further filling, a further baptism by the Holy Spirit, which was distinct and later from the initial filling of the Holy Spirit when they became believers. Yes? Okay. So where do we stand it as God first? Both. Okay, we believe like Paul that only by filling us with His Holy Spirit can we experience spiritual regeneration new life, be born again, and that every believer who calls on the name of Jesus for salvation does so and can only do so by the power of the Holy Spirit that it is within them, okay? And we believe like Luke that every believer should pursue and experience regular moments of filling by the Holy Spirit through the Christian life, throughout, okay? That increasingly empowers us to become more like Jesus, right? That's why our series is called Formed and why this is part of our series. 
become like Jesus and so that we can obediently follow him and his mission to the ends of the earth. So it's clear from Paul's writings about the gifts of the Spirit that he agrees with Luke that as well as there being an initial moment of filling for salvation, there also should be a there should be moments of increasing, growing in the fullness of the power of the Spirit after salvation. And that it's through those moments where increasingly the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are manifest in believers' lives. And this seems to play out in Acts. We, we read about the same but clearly growing group of people uh, you know, we know that 3,000 came to faith on that very first day when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and then thousands later, and thousands, and thousands. And the church, possibly at this point in Acts 4, is 10,000 people, 10,000 men plus women and children. I mean, this is a significant group of people. And throughout this period, up until Acts 4, there are certainly two, but probably three, filling moments for them where they encounter the fullness of the Spirit. In Acts 4... The disciples are praying. They're asking God for boldness in mission. Hey, what a great prayer to pray. It says in verse 29 of Acts 4, Now, Lord, they're praying. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They asked for boldness, for admission, and God answers by giving them His Spirit very, very dramatically. So, at God first, if someone asks, hey, have you been filled with the Spirit? One of the questions on our membership information form, we don't mean, have you been initially filled with the Spirit? That, that is kind of covered under, hey, are you a believer? Do you believe in Jesus? Okay, we mean, have you experienced ongoing filling moments of the Holy Spirit that has brought about an experience of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life? The gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 are wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning between the spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of, of tongues. There are additional gifts in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, Isaiah 11 in the Old Testament talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, there are significant lists of gifts. But these are the things we're talking about when we're saying, have you experienced a growing fullness of the power of the Spirit in your life? In many Pentecostal churches, there is the expectation that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is always accompanied by prophecies and speaking in tongues. And if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not a Christian. We categorically do not believe that. Okay, Be clear on that. But I do want to echo John Piper on this point when he says, I want to stress here, though, that I do not reject the validity of the gift of tongues for our own day. It is wrong to insist that they are a necessary part of the baptism of the Spirit. 
it is not wrong to insist that they are a possible part of that experience today. Okay? So even J Uncle John, <laughs> isn't he like the fourth member of the Trinity? Oh. Oh, we do love him very much, don't we? So we're saying it's not an essential, but there is the expectation that there is something that we will experience when the fullness and the power of the Spirit comes upon us. And we look forward to some occasions in the future when we are going to be exploring more fully the gifts of the Holy Spirit and when I know we've already got a date in mind where we're going to call together those who either have a gift of prophecy or would like to grow in the gift of prophecy. We're going to gather, pray, talk into it, and encourage one another. So watch the space. Okay? We, we want to lean into God on these things. Some of us this morning, however, I think might be struggling with some of this. Some of us might be feeling, hey, look, fine for you, it's just not for me. Or, hey, I've tried it, nothing happened. I hope this is an encouragement rather than a discouragement. But Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, seems to indicate that there is a clear cycle, phases of faith. In the same way that there are phases of life, you know, we're babies and we kind of become infants and preteens and, and we grow old. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, Brothers, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So he kind of indicates that there are, there's a, there, there, there are phases of maturity for us as believers. And, and this is on one end of the spectrum. And then he carries on, and I'm kind of paraphrasing Ephesians 4 because it's glorious but long. And it seems the cycle of maturity kind of crescendos on the other side of the spectrum in Ephesians 4 with Paul's description of the believer who has matured into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Not children, but growing up in every way into Christ, who is our head. You see it? Okay? There it is. There's the spectrum. And Jesus, who gave up his life unto death on the cross for us, in our place, the sinless Son of God, who became sin for us, that we might become righteousness in him. It is Jesus who, with the Father, sends us the Holy Spirit to empower us to become more like Him in every way, and to grow into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. So when we consider this spectrum of Christian maturity, may I suggest that if you are not yet like Jesus, keep pursuing Him by the Spirit. Keep seeking Him by the Holy Spirit. Do not give up pursuing Him until your eyes close in this life. That we move from infants to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ.
by the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, we read, And do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And it suggested that a somewhat clumsy but more accurate translation from this kind of Greek verb in the present continuous tense, again, not because I'm so smart, but because I can read stuff, um, that Ephesians 5.18 should read, do not get drunk with wine, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. In building up to this uh, sermon, probably in the last couple of weeks, I've just been feeling really, really flat. My energy, my emotions, my body, my health, and particularly my spirit has been feeling flat. And I thought, man, how do you preach a sermon on the spirit with any integrity feeling like that? Have I been pursuing joy in my lakeside cabin too much? Maybe. Have I been working too hard and too long on the church and not enough in the church with Jesus? Yeah, maybe. Is sin getting in the way of my confidence and joy in Jesus? Probably. I think considering the sermon three Sundays ago on mission, have I been trying to find joy in my mission instead of in his mission? Yeah, probably. Maybe you can relate. Maybe, like me, you, you feel these, this ebb and flow of tiredness, of disillusionment, of grumpiness, maybe even depression, just depressed about the way things are going. And, and the character of God, not really on display, as we might hope. It's probably just me. Um, but God's been just good to me this week, and I'm so grateful to that. But I do tell you, I, I come in this morning thirsty. I come in with a desperation for Him. And honestly, not only does keep being filled with the Spirit sound like a good idea, I feel like it is a life-saving idea right now. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And I find this such a helpful pastoral command from the Apostle Paul. Why does he say, do not get drunk with wine? Why do we get drunk with wine? Maybe you don't. Good on you. We'll get to that. We get drunk to forget. We get drunk to forget our problems for a while. We get drunk to forget for a while the weights of responsibilities that we carry in life. We get drunk for a while to feel comradeship with our stupid plans and stupid jokes. 
We get drunk to feel a little less lonely sometimes. The only time I've sung at the top of my lungs and not cared who hears me is when I'm drunk in my younger days or when I'm in church. (laughs) But we get drunk to forget for a while that we've hurt people. We get drunk to forget for a while that we've been hurt and sinned against. We get drunk for a while to forget about how much we are hurting on the inside. We get drunk for a while to feel some joy. The honest truth is that wine works for a while. Wine satisfies for a while. Wine wine soothes for a while. It brings joy. Yes, it does for a while. And then comes the morning after. (laughs) And whether wine is your thing, or work is your thing, or porn is your thing, or kids are your thing, or your car is your thing, or your lakeside cabin is your thing, they satisfy for a while, and in the morning we wake up and we feel dry in the mouth, and we feel dry in the heart. Solution, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5 speaks about how to grow by the Spirit into the character of Jesus, into men and women who prioritize the spirit and and not the wine. So I say, verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Please go and read them. It's powerful in there. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Isn't it amazing how the first fruits and the celebration of Shavuot was also about the law, and Jesus has, by His Spirit, superseded that. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us Keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Ah. How often do we want to kind of be big guns in the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit? Again, maybe it's just me. But I want to be a big gun. I I read the the kind of 1 Corinthians 12, and I want to be like a big gun preacher, leader, planting churches, helping churches, big gun. But God in His wisdom and mercy doesn't give us gifts beyond which our character can handle. Man, I've seen that in my life so many times. I'm such a proud, proud man. And not in the good way. And wanted to do all these big things for God 
and in his grace, he just says, nah, not yet. Learn to make your bed first, dude. Learn to tithe faithfully. Learn to love your wife and your kids well. Learn to love my people well. Learn to use your time well. Don't be lazy. Learn to make less about yourself and more about me. Learn to become more like Jesus through the fruit of the Spirit that are growing in your life as you are continually filled. It's like that tree planted, you know, fruit. You can't squeeze the fruit out if you're a tree. Gently watering, nourishing, giving it everything it needs. That's God toward us by His Spirit. And when the time is right, these fruits just get bigger and bigger and bigger and juicier and yummier. And yes, we can feed others with it. It does us good. Our character is more like Jesus. And then, one day, maybe one day, as your spiritual character grows, maybe then you can handle greater spiritual gifts. And I find God's ways so amusingly ironic sometimes. The more we seek the gifts, the more we seek power, the more we seek influence, but without the character of Jesus to back it up, God gives away or gives us less or takes away some. And the day we no longer seek them for ourselves, God chooses to use us and release the gifts in us. God first, God wants us to be part of His story through this experience. He longs to share His gifts with us by the Holy Spirit and to empower us for everyday mission to the neighbors and the nations for Jesus' sake. And He wants us to experience Pentecost-style revivals. Who was, doesn't want that? Hey, 3,000 people in one day. Come on. But long before He wants us to do this stuff for Him with our gifts, Jesus, just the great lover of our souls, the giver of the gifts, wants to become and remain in Himself the very central point of it all, the end destination. The one who died for us, the one who on the cross received separation from God the Father for the first time in history. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were separated on the cross because of my sin, your sin. So that through Jesus we might live eternally. And because of His separation, we might be forever united by the Spirit with God. And as we are filled with the Spirit and the character of Jesus is formed in greater and greater measure in us, He will know us. And we will know Him. And we will experience the fullness of His joy and His peace and His hope. And He quenches the deepest thirsts satisfies the greatest longings of our hearts now and forevermore. God first, may the God of hope fill you with all joy 
and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.